You're listening to Breaching the Walls with Edwin Perez, the podcast that helps you learn, grow, and discover who you are for your tomorrow. Here you'll find dynamic interviews from leaders around the world, talks on theology, culture, justice, and much more. And now, here's your host, Edwin Perez. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Breaching the Walls. I am your host, Edwin Perez, and today's topic, I want to talk to you about overcoming spiritual opposition. I'm pretty sure that most of you, in some way, shape, or form, have experienced spiritual opposition. You know, today there are thousands of cults in the United States. By definition, a cult generally is a group that is unorthodox, esoteric, has some sort of devotion either to a person, an object, or a set of new ideas, right? But while I was doing my research for this podcast, one in particular caught my attention, and they're called themselves the Temple of Satan. It's led by a man named Hector Londando. Uh, He's from Colombia, and he actually considers himself the son of Lucifer. So he goes on in his interview to say basically that evil doesn't exist, but for them, it's only character and behavior, and that if you do good, you'll have a good life. Sounds like some people I know. You know, cults have an ethos that attempts to redefine the Bible according to their own biblical interpretation. And there are those who are vulnerable to listening to this type of rhetoric and this teaching. And they come from all forms of life. And we're going to see one particular individual here in the book of Acts chapter 13. You know, the book of Acts chronicles for us the birth of the early church, this spreading of flame of Christian truth within the known world at that time. And specifically, we're going to talk about Acts 13, verses 1 to 12, which recounts the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey where he takes along with him Barnabas and Mark. This is the first place that the church of Antioch, they were the first Christian congregation to witness to the Gentiles in its own city. They're the first ones to actually send out missionaries into the world. They're they're pioneers of the faith. So let's just begin with verse 1. Now, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon, who was called Nigar, Lucius of Cyrene, Minion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So I want to stop right there because what verse 1 does is it gives us a roll call of a multicultural leadership. These prophets and teachers, these five names that are listed here. Simon, who was called Niger, was actually probably someone who grew up in Africa. Some theologians say that this is the Simon that actually carried the cross of Jesus. right? Then you have, within that roll call, you have Minion, who was kind of like a foster brother to Herod the Tetrarch, which was the one who, if you remember, uh, beheaded John the Baptist. So here you have such a different array 
of prophets and teachers, which is a perfect depiction of what the church should look like. Let's continue. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Here's my question. How did the Holy Spirit communicate God's will to them? Through what? Through worshiping and fasting together. Worshiping and fasting together, they were able to hear the Holy Spirit. When some of us, we have certain methods that we try to hear the voice of God, here's what happened here. They worshiped together and they fasted together. These spiritual practices and disciplines that we sometimes neglect. You can't expect to hear the voice of God with false worship and false adoration and a lack of spiritual discipline on your own. Witnessing to the world is born through the worship of the church. And your worship should lead to witness. It's like when you are fasting, what are you doing? You're uh, setting a spiritual attitude of expectancy and openness to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you this? That devotion without discipline leads to disobedience. I want to give you four principles when dealing with spiritual opposition. Here's the first one. We need the wisdom of the church to discern God's call to mission and receive influence for ministry. Let's look at Acts 13.3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You see, the early church was only influential because they understood the concept of collective wisdom. They understood that they needed to gather around. They needed to feed from each other. You see, you can't influence what you're trying to be like. And the early church understood that we have to be different. The Christians at Antioch, they turned the world upside down without conforming to the cultural demands of society or the political bend, but they relied on the teachings of Jesus. You know, I want to say this to you guys. What if the church measured its wisdom based from their sending capacity instead of their seating capacity? That's the first principle. The second one is this. We need the company of others to direct God's word for effective ministry. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, which was actually the main port of Antioch. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus, verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And listen to this, they had John to assist them. So John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. And he knew the land because... Well, he was an eyewitness to the gospel story. When you look at the original language of that Greek word to assist, it means a helper. See, John is there to help them. John understood that these two are being led by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to help you because I know the land. I know the story. 
It's in the company of others, right? When we attempt to fight our battles alone, you're going to accept a lonely victory, right? This ministry is not about serving I. It's about the we, right? Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only be silent. We're fighting these battles alone when we need to be fighting them together. What battles are you fighting on your own that you need to hand over to others? Let me put it this way. What battles are you fighting alone that you need to hand over to God? Verse 6 of Acts 13. When they had gone through the whole island. Can you imagine that? They went through the whole island ministering. As far as Phaos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Here's the third principle. We need the gospel to divide what's truth from what's false. You're going to expect spiritual opposition anytime God's word is communicated. It's just going to happen. So in this instance, we see that our missionary travelers are confronted by a high-ranking, intelligent Roman official, which was probably, he was probably considered a governor, and a Jewish sorcerer who worked directly for him in some type of capacity. But he was an imposter. This guy, Bar-Jesus, to be Jewish and a magician was like putting peanut butter on pickles. Should never go together. Now, if you do put peanut butter on pickles, that's a personal thing. (laughs) But notice that the official was a man of understanding. He was an intelligible man. Which leads me to say this, that your greatest wisdom can become your greatest downfall. I like what C.S. Lewis talks about truth here. He says this, If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end, but if you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. Hmm. So are you giving people comfort or Christ? Are you giving them gospel to rightly divide the word for their lives or are you giving them gossip that tickles their understanding and leads them to destruction? It's either gospel or gossip. Let's continue verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil! You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished 
at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished at the teaching. He wasn't astonished at your accolades. He wasn't astonished about who you are. He wasn't astonished about how many followers you have on Instagram. He wasn't astonished at any of that, but at the teaching of the Lord. Here's the fourth and final principle for dealing with spiritual opposition. We need a spirit-filled and biblically informed life to defend and confront our opposition. You know, in this passage that we just read, this is the very first time that we actually get a glimpse of Saul's name change. And from here on, he is always referred to by his new name. You need a name change that carries a spiritual weightiness to it rather than a name that causes you spiritual blindness. You see, Bar-Jesus, right? His name meant son of Jesus. But what does Paul call him? Paul calls him the son of the devil. Which reminds me of our earlier talk about this individual, the son of Lucifer. He really thought that he was a son of of Lucifer, just like Bar-Jesus thought he was a son of Jesus. Are we walking around with names that reflect a spirit-filled life that causes others to believe as the proconsul, or are we actually diluting our witness and conjuring up methods that lead others by our pride? You got to stop using your old name. It's a new wineskin. It's a new name that is written in the book of life that no one can blot out. I want to read a quote from the early reformer Martin Luther. And he said this, From the beginning of my reformation, I have asked God to send me neither dreams, nor visions, nor angels, but to give me the right understanding of his word, the holy scriptures. For as long as I have God's word, I know that I am walking in his way, that I shall not fall into any error or delusion. It's God's word. Plain and simple. It's not dreams. It's not visions. It's not angels. It's not what you think or you read for the moment. It's God's word. God's word, sola scriptura, that was the battle cry of the Reformation because it was God's word alone. But nowadays what we have done is we have changed that phrase to mean so many other things. Well, maybe if I read self-help books, it'll lead me to a better path. Or maybe if I deal with the occult and get my palms read, maybe they will give me a a future. It's God's word alone. Opposition that doesn't lead to obedience is the result of fear. Opposition that does lead to obedience is the result of faith. You know, maybe there's some internal conflict going on with you. Maybe there's some internal conflict going on with you and your family, right? Maybe you and your workplace, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. But even Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15, they ended up separating over John Mark. But guess what? It didn't discourage them from the mission. Thank you for listening. Praying for you. Go with God.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Breaching the Walls with Edwin Perez. To learn more about how you can receive free resources and content, visit our website at breachingthewalls.org. Make sure to review this episode and share it on social media so others can find value as well. Till next time.